Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison here to tell you Geico has more than just great savings, much more. Yes, while Geico could help you rack up more moolah faster than you can say metamorphosis, they've also been the fastest growing auto insurer for more than 10 years. That's more like it. Furthermore, Geico has fast and friendly claim service. That might seem like an oxymoron, but it's not. All the more reason to say no other auto insurer has more more than Geico. Geico, expect great savings and a whole lot more. Blog Talk Radio. Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, as you know, uh, for those of you who read the newsletter, we are going to be speaking exclusively to Dr. Bernard Starr, who is a uh, psychologist, a professor, and an author of some very interesting books, the latest of which will be the subject of today's show, which is Jesus on Uncensored, Restoring the Authentic Jew. Very interesting. Bernard Starr opens up a subject that has for way too long been dormant, yet I would dare say resides subtly in many of our uh, consciousnesses, and in mine, not so subtle. I so much agree with with what uh, Bernie has said in his book here, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have him on the show, because he articulates this idea of the Jewish Jesus. And um, I've been talking about this for a long, long time, about being rather emphatic about this and why it is that history um, unfolded the way it did relative to Jesus, who is a rabbi, through Christianity. It's very interesting, and Bernie Starr really deconstructs this in a very interesting and very thorough scholarly way and uh it's also fun to watch and see the way the mind works through history to change the story and alter it to suit any number of different let's just say political economic or social uh restraints and uh needs so uh I am so glad to have Bernie on the show with us today. We are longtime friends, and uh, we've been uh, involved in any number of projects together over the course of years. Bernie has also been on radio. He's had his own radio show for different periods of time, as well as been a professor and a writer 
for a long time, having written for the Huffington Post, as well as articles for Scripps Howard News Service that appeared in newspapers throughout the country. He's got a, a really a very distinct reputation for his thinking, and I would really like to say original thinking in many different domains, and this book is yet another example of that. Jesus Uncensored, Restoring the Authentic Jew. So, without further ado, let me bring Dr. Bernard Starr onto the show with me, and we'll start to unpack this so you can uh, really get into the gist of this perspective and understand its potential implications for us all as uh, Western, religiously based originally kinds of people. So, Bernie, are you there? Yep, I'm here. I'm right here, Mitchell. <laughs> Glad to be with Good you. Good to have you. Good to have you. So, I so appreciate what you've put forth in this book and the way you've uh, detailed it and corroborated the uh, assertions that you've made throughout it. Uh, oftentimes, interestingly, with the New Testament, that just so explicitly states who Jesus is, and what his affiliations really are, distinct from what becomes a latter-day interpretation thereafter, uh, branding Jesus in a different way. And uh, I think this is a really very important inquiry, and one that can help to straighten out a lot of uh, historical misunderstandings. So why don't you just take it from the beginning, from the top, Bernie, and lay out the basic thesis and uh, we'll follow you from there. Uh, well, okay. Uh, you know how I got interested in this. Uh, you know, life uh, takes many mysterious turns. If, uh, uh, yeah. if you told me 20 years ago, even maybe 10 years ago, that I'd be writing a book about uh, Jesus, uh, I would have said that's beyond credulity. Uh, but, uh, you know, here we are. Me being uh, born and raised a good Jew in Brooklyn, right? Well, raised Jewish in Brooklyn, but, uh, you know, like uh, many people, I would call it uh, Erzatz Jew, you know, where, uh, uh, as many people will typically say, they go through the motions, you get uh, bar mitzvahed, and, uh, uh, you know, and and that's it for a lot of people. Many of us uh, drift Yeah, in other words, because... you could say uh, a cultural Jewish identity, yeah, much and, more than uh, a religious orthodox um following well i think that's becoming more commonplace throughout many religions i mean there were recent uh reports of uh christians changing denominations uh, you know huge yes. percentage of christians switching their denominations and then the rise of the what is it called the nuns people who um uh, you know, don't identify with any particular religion. And, you know, my commentary about that is <clears throat> that the rabbis, the priests, the ministers, they have kids at the most impressionable time uh, for religious education, and they lose them later. Uh, yes. So while they complain yes. often about uh, people drifting away, uh, I would point the finger more directly in terms of the religious leaders that they're uh, missing something, and that's why so many Jews are what they call the uh, uh, the what is it, the Jews, <laughs> the Boo Jews, yeah, the, or the I, Jewish I Buddhist, being Buddhist, you know. But <laughs> Buddhist, yeah, yeah, you know that that's an entire. Um, you're right. 
there's been a huge defection from traditional religion, and there has been an upsurge even simultaneously to what we would refer to generically as spirituality. And well, right. even though the argument could be made mm-hmm. that spirituality lies at the heart of all religions, oftentimes religions get bogged down in ritual in ceremony and especially in dogma. Not to mention they have become, many of them, just admired in different kinds of um, uh, corruption and different kinds of scandalous activity Mm -hmm. from sexual and onward. So there's been a definite Yes. But what you're saying in this book, and you kind of outlined it at the beginning, you make a couple of very, I think, uh, valuable kind of... uh, clarifying assertions and I'm, I'm just going to refer to it as a as a as a um, stepping board for our uh, mm-hmm. discussion here um, you make the points uh, at the beginning Bernie all major figures in the Jesus circle reported in the Gospels the Christian Gospels they're called are Jewish Orthodox Jews that's right John the Baptist that's right is only baptized, was Jewish, of course, himself, Orthodox, and only baptized Jews. Neither Jesus, Mary, Joseph, uh, John the Baptist, or Jesus' disciples had any wish or intention to start a new religion. The word Christianity doesn't show up till decades later. On it goes. Then I, I thought this yeah. was particularly well, you, amusing. <laughs> and I, something you're certainly I summarizing it very well. Uh, and that's Wait, those you, you, things and, and many other things. What really shocked me when I got into this, I mean, I first got into this whole thing, um, uh, an interest in Jesus and the New Testament, when Mel Gibson's film came out, of all things. Uh, and if, if yes. you remember, uh, I think, when was that, 2006 or so? The Temptation or? of Christ. Uh, the Passion of the Christ, I think it was. The Passion uh, of Christ, right. And, uh, go, Jewish leaders were up in arms. They thought that this is going to, uh, you know, resurrect uh, a lot of anti-Semitism and uh, and whatnot. That's a good phrase, resurrect anti-Semitism. Yeah. Excuse me. (laughs) So uh, I attended a few uh, debates on this by, uh, in fact, the the most impressionable one with uh, Rabbi, uh, Boteich, Shmuley Boteich, who actually wrote a, a book on the same topic called uh, Kosher Jesus. Uh, he wrote that subsequent uh, to that, and he was debating uh, Michael Brown, who's a very eminent uh, Messianic Jew, and both of them are like classical debaters. I mean, it was just from a debating point of view, it was fascinating, yeah. but so, both of them were so uh-huh. uh, uh, erudite in it, and uh, I was astonished. I said, you know, why are people still arguing this thing about who killed Jesus, and, you know, was it the Romans, was it uh, the Jews, was it Judas, Uh, and that they're still uh, arguing about that, and uh, both of them were talking about how Jewish Jesus was. So I was puzzled by that. I said, well, he was so Jewish, you know, how did all this anti-Semitism come about uh, from this, and, you know, how Jewish was he? So that got me... to reading the New Testament, which I only knew in a cursory way. And I was actually shocked when I read uh, the Gospels because I discovered all those things that you just uh, outlined, that Jesus was thoroughly Jewish, uh, was a a totally practicing uh, Jew. His teachings were all from the Torah. 
John the Baptist, although we think of baptism as a Christian kind of rite, it was a Jewish rite. It was a Jewish purification rite. Uh, yes. Jews had many purification uh, baptisms. Well, it was a mitzvah. And he a, was there in the Jordan one River example baptizing. Of the, of the baptism. Yeah. The use of the mitzvah. But he was there which is baptizing standard orthodox Jews. practice. Mm-hmm. Sorry? Exactly. So yeah. at any rate, it was he was just, uh, and by the way, and John the Baptist died. You know, he was uh, beheaded. Uh, yeah. You know, long before the uh, several years before the uh, the crucifixion, never heard the word Christian. There was no intention. All of the followers, by the way, were all Jews, uh, which then puzzled me. I said, "Well, how is it that the Jews killed Jesus and all of his followers?" Were, were Jewish, that there would be no Christianity if it weren't for the Jewish. I mean, at that time, there were only Jews in Judea and Galilee and surrounding area. There were Jews and pagans. That was it, for the yes. most part. And all of Jesus' yeah. followers were uh, understandably we, let's say, Jewish. Let's put it this way. There were Jews and there were non-Jews, which were referred right. to as Gentiles, correct? Right, which exactly. Which are oftentimes referred to also as pagans. But yeah, I mean, the the number of choices back then on the menu weren't that great. Exactly. and yeah. you, you, But the Jewishness of Jesus goes on and on. I mean, wherever he turns, his followers are referring to him as rabbi. Uh, and then uh, he and his family uh, attended all, all of the Jewish uh, celebrations in Jerusalem. You know, at that time, the Torah mandated that there were three major holidays, and you had to, and the focus of celebrations was the temple in Jerusalem. This is before mm-hmm. what is called the synagogue era, which uh, came later after the diaspora. Yeah. I mean, there were synagogues, yeah. but the main celebrations were in Jerusalem. The main was and, the main temple, where the Wailing Wall still remains. That's right. That's right. And the main celebration was Passover, which is coming up. Not not Yom Kippur or any of those other holidays. It was Passover was uh, the uh, uh, main holiday that was uh, celebrated. And right in the New Testament, in Luke, uh, Luke two forty one, as a matter of fact, where it says, "Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover." In other words, since mm. Jesus was born, he and Mary and Joseph. You know, with thought of as Christians, they yeah. trekked to Jerusalem. And what I point out in the book is that uh, because I like to put myself into the situation, you know, and kind of walk yes. the walk uh, there and experience it, because I think you can discover sure. a lot of things that way. And I said, wow, you, you know, I looked at the map, and it's 80 miles from Galilee to Jerusalem. And every year... Uh, they walked there. Remember, there was no uh, super highway you know, to get there. That's right. Uh, they went That's by right. foot, by donkey, and they had to bring a, a, a pure Pascal lamb for the uh, for, for the sacrifice that was required there. Now that's quite a, tre- a trek, and I raised the question as yeah. I do when I speak to groups of Jews. I said, you know, how dedicated would you have to be to your religion to for every year to walk? 80 miles take seven days to get there, and then they would spend seven days there or more at the festival, and then uh, trek back. Uh, but exactly, you like could that, really but, say in modern vernacular that's ancient, actually ancient. It was quite a schlep, and it was what a you big also schlep, want to exactly. see, you know, you also want to see Bernie is that uh, <laughs> as you were talking about Christianity, and I do not want to um, veer too far from the subject, but you can't all help but see 
that Islam, as Christianity grew out of Judaism, so did very obviously Islam. And uh, we don't, we won't unpack all of that here now. Oh right, but, well, there's no question what, about that. What, and they were very closely aligned see, at the beginning, what actually. See, what you see is that uh, in all religions is this theme which is also archetypal, it would be argued, really, of the pilgrimage, whether it's to Jerusalem or whether mm. it's to, uh, later on, the Vatican, or whether it's to Mecca. And mm-hmm. these are all, I'm just reiterating, Jewish themes showing up in these other religions, called other religions, I should say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So please go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, so Jesus was... Uh... Was thoroughly Jewish. I mean, there's no uh, uh, question about that. Celebrating all of the holidays, and then I discovered in the uh, uh, in the, the new t- in the Gospels, which uh, the four Gospels, which cover uh, the basically the three years of his ministry, for the most part, uh, that the term Christian never appears there. I mean, I, I still in interviewing uh, Christians and Jews. They hello. Did I lose? Are we here? <laughs> okay. No, no, you're there. Oh, oh yeah. I, I thought interviewing Jews and Christians both. You were saying? Uh, yes, and uh, that uh, many would say, uh, well, he was Jesus was born Jewish, or he became Jewish when he was converted uh, by John the Baptist, and none of that was true. There's there was no Christianity during the life of I mean, Jesus, I've and the fact say, is. Book, you 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 say that you have spoken to a number of people, actually educated Christians, who thought that Jesus was Christian, and I was absolutely to see mm-hmm. that. Quite honestly, because no matter how people may feel about one religion or another. There are certain historical facts, and actually, since I mentioned that, I really do want to set a context, Bernie, that I know Mm -hmm. you are very familiar with, but I think it's valuable for the audience to realize and to know, if they don't already, that the first extant reference we have to Jesus is also, many years later, in Josephus, the Jewish-Roman historian. And that's what we have as the first reference to the man. Well, Jesus. that's the key uh, validation that everybody cites because there is right. virtually no historical references uh, to Jesus, and this is uh, until later than we get the Gospels. The then later we get the Gospels, correct? And those have what you could say. Uh, passable historical significance. It's, it's well, that's a very controversial issue. You, I mean, you're right. Uh, the gospel it's held as a historical fact. I'd, I'd actually love to hear what you have to say about about the gospels as historical or not. Well, look, the gospels were written in your uh, research. Most scholars, like uh, Bart Ehrman and uh, many others, uh, Elaine Pagels, will t- will tell you that they were written thirty to, and I'm talking about Christian scholars now. Will say they were written 30 to 70, and some say as, for as late as 90 years after the crucifixion. Now the yes. Gospels have the names on them of uh, you, you know of uh, you know Luke and Mark and Paul, right, and Matthew and John, uh, yes. and 
some people say, well, okay, they, they were the um, uh, the apostles, you know, that these people were eyewitnesses. Others, uh, and most scholars, reject that and say, uh, you know, that's not true. It was uh, typical of writing religious things at the time to put uh, pseudonymous names on it and to put famous names on it. Uh, yes. But just the fact that something is written uh, 30 to 70 years later, I mean, I make a quip in, in the book. I said I'm on several boards, and we have board meetings, and we make decisions and whatnot. And uh, a week later, people argue over what was said at the meeting, sure. despite the fact that there are minutes there, even of the minutes. This is like exactly. a week later. And the idea of right. something being written 30 to 70 Sometimes years. Sometimes it's only an hour later. <laughs> an hour later. You and I have experienced uh, also, it together. <laughs> and also the Gospels, uh, some of them were were written uh, after 70 uh, A.D. when uh, the Jews went to war with uh, with the Romans. And uh, these were vicious uh, battles, and uh, the Jews were uh, defeated uh, by uh, by uh, the forces of Titus, and there, uh, and at that point, uh, most of the converts now were were more uh, pagans or non uh, you know Gentiles than Jews. The early converts were uh, were Jews, but at this point, it was all Gentiles. So there was no currency in saying anything nice about Jews you know, right. at that point. And many of the scholars will say that accounts for some of the contradictions. Uh, where there's some anti-Semitism in some of the Gospels, but a lot of it is not anti-Semitism because the story is basically, uh, you know, a Jewish story. Uh, exactly. And I could cite Christian writers, uh, you know, for example, Father Bruce Chilton, who wrote a book called Rabbi Jesus. Uh, he's an Episcopal priest. And he said everything that Jesus did and said was about and for Jews. That yeah. the document is basically a Jewish document about Jews, and again, with no hint even of any kind of Christianity. I mean, one astonishing statistic uh, that I like to repeat is, uh, as I said, the term Christian is not mentioned at all in the Gospels, but the term Jew appears 82 times. Okay? Yeah. And in the entire New Testament, the word Christian only appears three times. And the first time is about 10 years after the crucifixion in the uh, in the mission of Paul that when he was preaching in Antioch. It's the first time you hear the word Christian, and it only appears two other times in the entire New Testament. And there absolutely was no Christianity during the uh, the life of Jesus. Um, Let's let everybody you know, so, know that uh, so, you are listening to... So how did to, it get away uh, from... Uh, how did, Christian, uh, how did Bernie, Christianity me, get away from Judaism? Me, Bernie, <laughs> hold on one yeah. moment. I want to let everybody know that uh, you are all listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin, and we're spending today's show speaking with Dr. Bernard Starr, the author of Jesus Uncensored, uh, Restoring the Authentic Jew. Bernie is a psychologist and a professor and has been uh, writing for many, many years on a number of different subjects and has taken up the cross, may I say, as uh, <laughs> his latest work in describing the true authenticity of Judaism that is at the core of Christianity and goes unrecognized. You know, Bernie, on this subject, uh, one of the aspects of this whole 
field that I have been giggling about, I could say, to myself and to my audiences and others for a long time is this depiction of Jesus as the blonde-haired, you know, hydrogen peroxided Jew rabbi who would have otherwise really should have been depicted as a rather swarthy, dark-skinned, dark-haired, Sephardic Jew, which he most likely was, if not even dipping further into his North African, you know, Mm -hmm. Israel, after all, is North Africa. And, uh, you know, if anything, the coloration goes more into African dark coloration than anything white and blonde and blue-eyed. And I know I've been saying to this to people literally for decades, and they look at me like, you know, that makes sense. And yet Mm -hmm. we have, of course, the iconography, etc., of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, and that's one Mm -hmm. of the um, areas that you focus on in your book. Maybe you could help to... uh, uh, well, yeah, that was another thing that uh, that astonished me. You stated it uh, it uh, very well. At first, it started out as a brief uh, commentary about uh, medieval and uh, you know and Renaissance art. Uh, when I stumbled into this uh, uh, image, this painting of uh, the famous uh, 15th century uh, Renaissance artist Fra Angelico, uh, many of the listeners may be familiar with his work. He was a brilliant yeah. uh, artist and has some uh, brilliant mm-hmm. pieces in many, many uh, collections. Uh, and uh, it's, a, uh, it's a painting of uh, uh, Mary Magdalene encountering the risen Jesus. He's just risen and it's in the garden right outside uh, the tomb. And both of them are, like, are blazing blondes. And not only that, but they have an aura around them that increases. It's almost blinding to look at it. When I first looked at it, I thought, wow, this is, is this true or is this a joke? This, yes, uh, this yes. painting. And, you can uh, say the wonders so, of hydrogen peroxide. <laughs> so it got me to look at other paintings, and, uh, and eventually I did a uh, – that, that brief commentary turned into a whole chapter called The Ethnic Cleansing of Judaism in Medieval and Renaissance Art. And I yes, based it I on a walking a tour. Wonderful I did a walking phrase. tour, actually, of the yep. Metropolitan Museum of Art uh, Renaissance Galleries uh, and uh, cited painting uh, after painting uh, where you have uh, this fair-skinned, uh, blonde uh, Jesus, uh, Mary, uh, others in his uh, entourage, there, uh, but it's not only that they're fair-skinned and often blue-eyed and with uh, blonde hair. They're in palatial Romanesque settings, surrounded by later-day uh, Christian saints and uh, all kinds <laughs> of Christian artifacts. And there's not a, yeah. a hint in any of these paintings of uh, right. you know of Jesus' origin, the fact that he was right. uh, was Jewish. Uh, and I thought, wow, you know, this is really an overlooked underpinning of anti-Semitism by omission, That because it created right. the illusion that Jesus and Mary and Joseph, his family, and all of his followers, close followers, were of a different religion and ethnicity uh, than the Jews, because when they you painted the say, Jews... Bernie, were, you could say that it wasn't kosher. It wasn't kosher. Very good. I mean, you take a look at some of the paintings where they have Jews in them, uh, uh, you know, like um, uh, Peter Paul Rubens' painting of uh, Jesus uh, talking to the uh, the doctors, uh, the scholars on the steps of the uh, 
uh, of the temple. And uh, I mean, it's quite quite incredible uh, the uh, uh, the dark, menacing uh, depiction yes. of uh, Jews. And another famous painting of uh, uh, of Jesus and the money changers, and uh, where Jesus is blonde and ethereal looking, and then you have these dark, menacing, ugly, really uh, depictions. Right. Of, uh, I mean, you uh, that, that goes all the way up to Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so uh, I was quite astonished ab- uh, about that, and have written uh, extensively about it. Of course, many of the uh, and I really feel that art historians have been remiss in this in not pointing out this falsification yes. of biblical history. And let me tell you what their uh, their defense is against this. And you run into it over and over again. They say, "Oh, you know, yeah. it was the Renaissance style to contemporize figures." Uh, you know, and that's true to a degree that they took uh, even classical Greek figures, and some of the Dutch painters and others had them dressed in uh, Renaissance clothing, et cetera, et cetera. So my reaction to that uh, has been, well, look, uh, that may be true to a degree, okay, but it's one thing to uh, uh, to contemporize people in terms of uh, physical appearance, in terms of uh, dress, or even some of the settings, anachronistic settings. But it's quite another thing to steal their identities. Okay. Yes. So, in other words, exactly. if you you take a, you, you're familiar with the famous painting, the Rembrandt painting of Aristotle contemplating the bust of Homer. Okay. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, Aristotle is dressed uh, in Renaissance clothing. Okay. Yeah. Fine. But he's not holding a cross. He's not surrounded by by Christian right. saints. He's still right. a Greek hero. Well, the other point that you made in your book, I thought very well, is that the the Passover scene in uh, Da Vinci is mm-hmm. there's very little Passover like about it. Well, well, exactly. As a matter of fact, if you uh, uh, if you looked at uh, the Last Supper uh, yeah. at the Last Supper painting and didn't know uh, exactly what uh, that was, you would say it looked like a gathering of uh, of Christian monks. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. And there are uh, there are other paintings of uh, of the Last Supper as well, which are more clearly Christianized. There's one famous one, I think it may be by Fra Angelica uh, also, in which uh, the Last Supper is taking place actually in the monk's cell, and they're dressed like uh, monks. And there were all kinds of yeah. Christian symbols around. And again, this has fed that illusion uh, that uh, that you know Jesus uh, and his followers they were Christians right from the beginning. Uh, and then, if you take a look at the foods uh, on the table, they remember this was yeah. supposed to be a seder. And yeah. uh, in the Gospels, where uh, Jesus is giving instructions. Uh, to the uh, to his disciples, saying, "Go to this uh, home there, and I want you to prepare the Passover." And he uh, he's very specific. He wants the lamb. He wants all the foods there. He wanted a, a, a seder. I mean, the term seder right. wasn't used at, uh, at that time, but he wanted the traditional Passover uh, celebration. Okay. Now, yeah. if you look at the table in the uh, in Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, there's bread on the table. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, right. the most iconic representation of Passover is the unleavened bread. In fact, it's often called the celebration of the unleavened bread. Okay? Yes, right, so, right. And, 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 I and, and it, which represents the entire 
Passover, which was to get out of Dodge. I mean, in that case, Egypt. And there wasn't time for the bread to leaven. <laughs> you know, so without well, it, well, exactly. the entire purpose gets, uh, you could say, unleavened. <clears throat> so I wasn't quite sure, though. So I'm looking at this painting, and I'm saying, gee, it looks like bread to me. You know, it certainly looks like bread. And then uh, I stumbled into a book by Ross King that just came out about, a, uh, I don't know, a year and a half ago or so. I had seen an advanced copy of it at the book expo. Uh, called Leonardo. It's a whole book devoted to Leonardo and the Last Supper, to that painting. It's hard to imagine an entire book about it. But he yes. has a quote in there from uh, the 15, uh, the, from the, the time when the painting was done, uh, that he has a quote from uh, uh, a priest who was visiting uh, the, uh, the monastery where the painting was hanging. And one of the things that he cites was that he was so impressed by the bread that was on the table and how realistic it looked. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I had a confirmation for going back to the 15th century, practically. Oh, God, that's medieval. so funny. Exactly. <laughs> I wonder if it was a challah, you know. I'd like to pick up on uh, – no, your, your points are well made, and there is this um, – you could say uh, this whitewashing of Jesus, which is just so obvious through the Renaissance art, as you put it, and through all of Western history, we see the same phenomenon, uh, you know, from the blonde hair and the blue eyes to the co-opting of Jesus into a new religion. And you ask an interesting question, why did there need to be a new religion? And that really seems to hinge on the fact that there was a crucifixion. And I think that that's a very good point, which I would like you very much to kind of uh, unpack, because uh, other than that, you would have a world of Jews, which, by the way, was never an interest of Jews among themselves to convert anybody to anything. That's not, well, that's it's true. not I mean, a messianic never, religion uh, in that way. Right. Right, they so, they yeah, never had would. that as an agenda, as a primary agenda no, to convert not at all. anyone. Their not basic at all. position was, look, this is what we do, and you know, you, uh, and they weren't prejudiced against other religions too. They said, you, you know, do whatever you want, you know, just leave us alone. Uh, right, kind of uh, right. Thing. But go into, if you would, Bernie, a little bit about. Um, there are two things here. One is the subject of how uh, how the crucifixion led to or let's just say we speculate well that it led to the formation of a new religion birthed out of Judaism, obviously, um, and out of one of its leading yeah. figures, mm -hmm. Jesus. And also another very valuable point I think you make in the book is you take a good look at who killed Jesus. And you yeah, really well, I think untangle you have to that, that web. Mm -hmm. Yeah, why don't you do that? That'd be great. Yeah, well, I think you have to start with with that because that I think is what feeds into uh, a new re religion. The next step. Because a lot of uh, uh, commentaries say, oh, uh, you know, that Jesus uh, rejected Judaism. Uh, he criticized Judaism, and they use that as the basis for that he, he was really a, a Christian. Well, we, we, Jesus <laughs> criticizing the Sanhedrin and the uh, the uh, 
the uh, the, uh, the Pharisees uh, and the, it was mostly the Sadducee leadership. I mean, there's a big error about that. They keep saying, uh, you, you know, that the uh, uh, attacking the Pharisees, you know, it was the Pharisees that were against Je- Jesus. Yeah. It wasn't true. It was the, uh, the Pharisees were more um, the liberal branch of Judaism, and uh, they spoke for the people. The Sadducees represented the, the rich elite, and they controlled the Sanhedrin. Uh, but at any rate, uh, very much sounds this idea, like today, doesn't it? Sound like the Occupy movement, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, exactly. Yeah. And uh, and <clears throat> Jesus' criticism of Judaism was similar to what was people that? criticize today. He was criticizing exactly. the leadership for the uh, for emphasizing rituals and That's formalism, right. and that they weren't uh, embracing the uh, the uh, the spirituality the of, the, of the the Torah, That's the right. heart of the Torah. Uh, so that's a, a total misunderstanding that in no way did Jesus reject Judaism. He taught Judaism, okay? Exactly. Uh, you know, and by the way, that's another thing. There's a quote uh, in, the, in the Gospels uh, that uh, it was the, the Sabbath and Jesus was heading back to, his, uh, uh, to Nazareth, and he went uh, to, it was the Sabbath, and he went to the synagogue uh, as was usual, and stood up for the reed. That when yes. he wasn't preaching to these outdoor crowds, that he was in, and it's right there in the in, uh, in the Gospels, that he right. went in there and stood up for what still is done in synagogues on the Sabbath, uh, yes. that they read a portion of the uh, the Torah. Okay, the Torah. so so the, the Sanhedrin now is out to get him. Okay, he's number one on their most wanted list because he's a pain in the neck. Jesus, he's criticizing them constantly. Yeah. Uh, he's attacking them for their uh, uh, their uh, formalism, Dogmatic, for their lack of the spirituality. <clears throat> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so they want to, and again, I'd like to take you into Gethsemane Garden. Let's let's walk the walk with Jesus. So they're out to get him. He's the most wanted man on uh, uh, on their list. Okay, now. And he has multitudes of people following him, so they knew where to find him at various times. In, in fact, it says yeah. uh, in the Gospels that they could have arrested him at one of his outdoor uh, meetings, but uh, they didn't want to do that for fear of causing a riot. So I'm looking at that mm. and saying, fear of causing a riot? You mean his Jewish followers would fight to the death to defend him and the Jews killed Jesus? <laughs> right. You know? You know, so they want to get him at a private meeting. So and then so they they pay uh, Judas presumably uh, thirty pieces of gold to tell them where he's going to be, and he's going to kiss Jesus, so they'll know which one is Jesus. So I say, well, wait a second, they wouldn't know which one is Jesus. He's the most wanted man on their list. Okay. Yeah, right. right so they, right. <laughs> they, know, so they show up at. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's like the FBI coming uh, to a meeting of the mafia in uh, Staten Island, uh, and they pay somebody uh, to kiss uh, J- uh, John Gotti. They want to know which one. Right. <laughs> they know Jimmy Hoffa. They don't recognize <laughs> Jimmy, him. Right? Jimmy Hoffa. Okay. So, and who comes to arrest him in Gethsemane Garden? And again, it's right there in, in the Gospels. It's not, uh, there may have been a few Roman soldiers, but it was mainly temple gods, Jews, temple elders, and rabbis were there. Okay, and he's the most man to, wanted man on the list, and none of them could you know, know which one he is. <laughs> that they had to pay somebody 
you know, to identify him by the famous uh, kiss. And by the way, in the uh, Gospel of John, there is no kiss. Jesus, you know, so people have picked and chosen which one they wanted to believe because in the Gospel mm-hmm. of John, they all show up to arrest Jesus, and uh, one of them says, well, which one of you is Jesus? And Jesus says, it's me, it's me, here I am. And uh, then they ask the question again. He said, I just told you. He says, I'm, I'm the one. He identifies yeah. himself. So the whole story about Judas is, you know, highly questionable. But even if one person, let's say he did turn him in, he was a turncoat, although the, the you know, most recently uncovered gospel of Judas uh, says that uh, Jesus uh, ordered him to, you know, commanded him uh, to reveal it because it was part of fulfilling prophecy. Uh, and that yes. uh, Judas was actually the most spiritual of the uh, of the disciples and the most oh, beloved one by Jesus. So that's another uh, angle to it. But at any rate, the idea that uh, yeah. that they that because let's and say a very Jesus did do one, that, by the way, a very interesting yeah. angle. But yeah, please yeah. go on. But but if one but if Judas did turn him in, let's say he was a turn he was a rat. Okay, how did yes. that translate into the Jews? Uh, you know, kill Jesus. I mean, that is quite, uh, uh, quite uh, bizarre. Uh, and then Pontius Pilate say from from arresting somebody to have to crucifying them. That's uh, still quite a distance. Well, it is, but they say they wanted him out of the way. Other other commentators have said, well, it was really the Romans who killed him. They wanted him out of the way because he was really Rambo. He was an insurrectionist. I mean, that's uh, what several people have said, including Bill O'Reilly in his recent book called Killing Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and, but, uh, but that's uh, a reasonable argument. That's a well, very, maybe. I, I think that's a very reasonable, yeah, but listen, I think it's you, a very reasonable could... argument that the Sanhedrin would have wanted him out of the way, but mm-hmm. even more so, the Romans would have wanted him out of the way. But okay, now you, there's an in interesting book, angle. make a different assertion. What, mm-hmm. please? Okay, but there's an interesting angle with the the Romans because uh, in the Gospels, uh, uh, Pontius Pilate, who was a vicious, vicious uh, anti-Semite, and uh, he would kill anybody <laughs> as fast yeah. as he could say good morning, and suddenly he's this gentle figure saying, "Oh, we have nothing against this man. This blood is on your hands." You know, he's this uh, very yeah. uh, gentle guy. Pious, uh, pious, pi- <laughs> yeah. In fact, he's, he was made a saint in, I, I think, the Ethiopian uh, Orthodox Church. He's, uh, he's actually a saint. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, this, vicious, Interesting. Uh, this vicious guy. As a matter of fact, he was eventually recalled uh, to Rome on a complaint of the Syrian uh, governor because he slaughtered thousands of Jews, of these Samarians, on their, uh, mm. uh, they were on a pilgrimage on a mountain where they thought Moses was buried and whatnot. Uh, and the Syrian governor complained and uh, uh, and he was recalled by the um, by the Roman emperor, and uh, for brutality, he was called cruel and brutal. And, uh, and I said to myself, you know, how cruel do you have to be for a Roman to call you cruel? But in the Gospels, he comes across as a nice guy, you know. And uh, no, you people are doing it. You know, you want to uh, to kill this man. We have no uh, no argument. Uh, uh, with you, uh, so I mean the whole thing is uh, is rather strange. The other question I raise is: Did you ever hear anybody say the Americans killed Martin Luther King, the Americans killed Abraham Lincoln, the Americans killed John F. Kennedy? Did, did anybody ever say that? Right. It's true. 
No. I mean, the, in every case, they were killed by an American, but nobody says the Americans killed these I people. Know. I mean, the, it just, the idea of one Jew as a turncoat. An outrageous generalization like that, you know. So mm-hmm. when you reflect on these, you, you come to a conclusion that you say is unarguable. What is that conclusion? Oh, well, it's very clear. Uh, With all of uh, this controversy, uh, you know, this 2,000-year debate, who killed Jesus, and the, uh, the accusations divided between it was uh, Judas, it was the Jews in general, it was uh, Caiaphas, the head of the Sanhedrin, it was the Sanhedrin, it was Pontius Pilate, it was the Romans in in general. But one commentary I'd make about that, and by the way, the current consensus of opinion is that it was the Romans. We, first of all, they were the only ones who could actually carry out the, the execution. And several authors yeah. that I just mentioned said that they mm-hmm. believed he was an insurrectionist and they wanted, he was a threat to Rome. And uh, they wanted him, uh, uh, him out of the way uh, completely. Sure. Uh, you know, so uh, where do we go from, with, uh, from that? But, he, but I would make one further comment about that. Despite the divided opinion and the weight of the opinion that the Romans did it, untold numbers, hundreds of thousands, maybe more than hundreds of thousands of Jews have been slaughtered throughout history on the charge of Christ killer, you know, Jews being Christ killers, okay? Sure. And I can't find despite the so-called divided opinion, I cannot and I challenge anybody to show me a single incident over the last 2,000 years of uh, Cossacks or marauders riding through a Roman village yelling and screaming, saying, get those Romans, you know, those Italians, they killed our Lord. (laughs) Can't find one single incident of that over Uh 2,000 years, yet hundreds of thousands of Jews. And not only that, I cited an article that I wrote recently, and somebody who I know told me this, that when she was a student, uh, a young student at um, Syracuse University, and she met a Jewish uh, woman, uh, not a practicing Jew, and she met her roommate for the first time, who was a young woman from upstate New York who came from a small uh, rural town where she virtually never met any Jews and when she met her new roommate this uh, person I know uh, and it turned out that she was Jewish she blurted out half jokingly but said oh you killed our Lord you know so 2,000 oh, years gosh. later it's still even though I think yeah. she was joking but there it was still at the top of her head sure you know, sure. and I read that there was a recent survey that uh, twenty some odd percent of uh, Americans still believe that uh, the Jews killed Jesus. So tell me and our audience who you feel unarguably killed Jesus. Yeah, well, it uh, you know it says it very uh, explicitly uh, in the uh, in the New Testament. Uh, in which it's very clear that God killed Jesus, you know, and and it says wow. so. Uh, it says very explicitly that God uh, sacrificed his uh, his only son, you know, that he sacrificed his only son. And uh, there are quotes uh, from uh, Jesus himself where he, where he says uh, uh, he says, "Look, I, I was commanded to body. do that." Okay, here are the direct quotes. He gave his only begotten son. Okay, uh, and sent his son, okay, who gave uh, himself according to the will of God, delivered him up for us, that thus it must be. 
I lay down, and then Jesus says, I lay down my life. No man taketh, taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. And he says, yes. uh, it has to be, because this is prophecy. Uh, yeah. you know, so, and there it is. I mean, it's Bashir. there's no wiggle room here. <laughs> is there any wiggle right. room here? Uh, and well, I'm looking he, at this, and I'm astonished. I said, it's saying that God ordered this, and it's part of prophecy, and that all of these yeah. players, they're merely props in a divine uh, uh, play here. And I reached yeah. the further conclusion. I said, to accuse anybody else should have been considered blasphemy. They should have been excommunicated because they're challenging yes. God. They're saying they're taking away from sure. God. What is God? God is saying, look, I killed him, and it had to be this way. Yeah. It's prophecy. But but God killed. Let's let's get very. Um, now it doesn't sound uh, nice. To say that, I agree. <laughs> no 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 no. It's a very interesting proposition. But from that same point of view, Bernie, you could say that God orchestrates all things. But here well, you we're could. zeroing, we're zeroing in on a very great particular. So God would have had to use, um, perhaps. I mean, at most. Strikingly, seems it was the Romans who had the materiel to execute and had the political position and fortitude and ambition to kill him. Mm-hmm. So it was it was God's will, let's just say, expressed through the Roman political ambition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair? I'm mm-hmm. asking you. Well, yes. I mean, there are two because ways of looking at it. Because somebody had to actually per- put him up on the cross. Well, you're right. I mean, on one, yeah. But uh, Mitchell, you're absolutely right. I mean, on the one hand, you could say, look, everything. If you if you believe in God and you believe in the creation, then you could say that everything is part of the creation, and that this idea of me the doer, you the doer, is an illusion that we are all uh, kind of programs, and uh, uh, that we're fulfilling, uh, you know, a divine plan. But here you have very explicit statements specific to a situation where right. uh, God is quoted and Jesus is quoted saying, hey, look, you know, my father my father commanded me to do this. It has to be. No, and he said, by the way, he said, I could stop this. Uh, he said, yes. I could uh, call to my father and he'll send 12 angels down to, to you know. So I said, well, so how does that translate into Judas or more generally the Jews killed Jesus. Now, by the way, this may be one of the explanations, uh, and I have this someplace else uh, in the book, that, you know, for a thousand years, uh, the church prevented people or discouraged them uh, from reading the Bible. You know, it was considered blasphemy uh, uh, from the early Middle Ages on, uh, uh, at least up until the Enlightenment, uh, for Christians to own the Bible and to read it on their own. And the argument was... uh, what you hear from a lot of uh, controlling forces in society. Yes. They can't, they're, they're too stupid, they can't be trusted to read it properly, that we have to tell them what's there and how to think about it. Uh, and by the yes. way, uh, since most of the population was illiterate anyway, and the Bible was only in Latin and nobody could read Latin, they forbid, yes. under the threat of being burned at the stake, any translations into to, uh, native oh, languages. God. I mean, as late as the 16th century, Robert Tyndale was the last one, maybe, to be burned at the stake for this translating. This is astounding the... information that you unpacked here. This is I well, mean, it's this well is known. Totally I mean, Robert Tyndale and to me, uh, at, 
Mm -hmm. But as late as the 16th century, he translated the Bible into English, and he was burned at the stake for it, and not because it was a bad translation, by the way, because (laughs) 60% of of the King James Version of the Bible that is adopted today is is William Tyndale's uh, uh, translation. But he was burned at the stake, you're saying, Bernie, because he defied the law the the Christian law that you do not translate the Bible. Well, they didn't want them to have access to it. And I say that one of the reasons that they didn't want them to have access to it was because they would discover what a Jewish document it was. Exactly. exactly. I mean, because the church so, at this point, at the, uh, through the Middle Ages, was desperately trying to detach from Judaism. You remember, at the beginning, they were very closely aligned. And all of the of ideas of Jewish ideas and the early church had as a matter of fact even as late as the fourth century uh if you uh after the um uh, the church the formal church was founded at the council of nicaea if you read the homilies of uh of saint john of chrysostom okay the vicious homilies against the the jews but many of the homilies are directed to castigating Christians for still engaging in Jewish practices and going to synagogues, that the populace Mm. still didn't know what the difference was between the two religions, that that, uh, they basically, the ones that were followers of Jesus, he was just a a charismatic rabbi who they believed was the the Messiah. Um, You know, I mean, there are Jews today who believe that uh, that Schneerson is the Messiah. Sure. You know, so the idea of somebody you, being the Messiah is a, not so alien. There, there's a strand still hanging out there that I want to kind of fold sure. back in here, which is uh, what is your explanation of – it seems like a red herring to me, the whole story about Judas and the silver and the kiss and identifying Jesus among people who knew who he was. Um, so what – it. It, from the perspective of the Gospels being historically accurate, reasonably historical uh, documents, how does mm-hmm. that story stand, Bernie, in your mind um, among all the other Gospel stories? Because it seems so bloody far-fetched. Yeah, well, um, you know, there are many alternative Gospels, too, that have been uncovered, uh, you know, some, sure. uh, Thomas. you know, fairly, yeah. uh, Gospel of Philip and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and they, they tell, a, right. you know, the Gnostic Gospels, which tell a completely uh, different story. In fact, the uh, the teachings of Jesus in those Gospels come across uh, very similar to uh, to the East Buddhist teachings and uh, and Eastern teachings and the, the notion sure. that God is is within... Of course, the church uh, yes. from early on condemned those and said they were uh, inauthentic. And there's an ongoing argument uh, about that. Uh, some people say, well, you know, like all great uh, teachers, spiritual teachers, that Jesus taught at two different levels. That was yes. uh, There were the teachings for the common people or even his disciples exactly. the who were very concrete thinkers. or symbolic, yeah. Yeah, and then you, he had the more deeper teachings for the really uh, more evolved people. I mean, even in the um, in the Gospels, for example, when Jesus comes up with the idea of being born again, uh, Peter says to him, Peter, who was the one, the, the rock on which the church is going to be, the new church presumably is going to be uh, yeah. founded, says to Jesus, you know, what do you mean born again? You can't go back into the womb. 
<laughs> you know, now we now we know right. what Jesus meant by being born again. He was talking about being, sure. you know, a new consciousness, a divine right. consciousness, born getting beyond the, the material, one spiritual nature. Yeah. It, well, exactly. But here, Peter, who was supposed to be the the leading disciple, is saying, right. well, "What do you mean?" Right. <laughs> you know, he's, he's looking at it in a very concrete. Uh, manner. Exactly. So, yeah, I believe that probably many of those Gnostic Gospels are authentic. But here's another take that I have. For my purposes, I say that these four, three canonical Gospels and the Gospel of John uh, are the, the, quote, facts. Okay, And why the facts? Mm-hmm. Because these are the books that have influenced and have framed the way Jews and Christians, mainly Christians, view Christianity, Judaism, and Jesus. Uh, That's right. You know, these other ones, maybe they're true, maybe they're they're not. But these are the ones, I mean, stop anybody in the street and ask them about the Gospel of Philip, you know, and they'll right. look at you, what are you talking about? So I say, right. for factual, you know, for all intents and purposes, the uh, sanctioned uh, New Testament is the facts, because these yes. are what have shaped the world that we live in and the way people right. think about uh, Christianity uh, and Judaism. Right. Okay. Right. But on a on a positive well, note, I would I wanted to add because I have no intention of uh, slamming either you know Christianity or Judaism. I think that the, the oh, leaders no. both within Judaism and Christianity uh have um uh kind of been influential in creating the separation between the two religions and uh uh and obliterating the kind of the common foundation. And I'm trying to uh, restore that to a degree, address that in the art exhibit that I'm uh, organizing. Uh, yes, I think it's You know, putting, putting Judaism back in the picture toward uh, healing the Christian-Jewish sure. uh, divide. It's, just, it's, uh, clarifying, it's clarifying history, and that's how I hold the book you wrote here. And the effort that you're making is to simply clarify. It's not favoring one thing over another except for some greater historical uh, fact and following it through. People can interpret it as they wish, but uh, Mm -hmm. you want to restore what we know as the truth based on the historical record that we do have and to abide by it. And I I think that's really very admirable. And I I very well, we're out of time now. Bernie, but I, yeah. I want to just say... I right, and the time is ripe for this kind of reconciliation, I think. Yeah, but I do yeah. think that the time is ripe now for reconciliation, I and particularly too. with uh, Pope Francis, which uh, uh, yeah, I think he's going to make great strides toward um, yes. uh, toward creating yes. the, the notion of oneness. Yes, exactly. I think you. I think he has a lot of potential, and I'm very glad he's there, and I'm very glad you are where you are and uh, on A Better World Radio tonight with me. So thank you so much for your good work. Well, I enjoyed uh, this very much, and thank you. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. We'll talk to you on another occasion. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Okay. Great, Bernie. Thanks so much for joining us. This is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World. We've just spent this this uh, session, this uh, show, with Dr. Bernard Starr, who is the author of Jesus Uncentered. Uncent- Why do I keep saying that? Uncentered. Uncensored, Restoring the Authentic Jew. And, oh, I didn't get Bernie's uh, email, I mean, uh, website here, but uh, certainly you can Google him. 
and get hold of this book. Actually, we have it available uh, on our site, abetterworld.tv, and in our newsletter. If you don't get our newsletter, certainly you should uh, subscribe. It's for free at that same website, www.abetterworld.tv. Now, just in uh, closing this evening, I just want to say in reflecting on Bernie's wonderful contribution here through this book at clarifying the history of Christianity, we can't help but see that there has been, you know, we could call it um, a whitewashing, a blonde washing, uh, a Christian washing, uh, without attributing anything negative anywhere. But just to look at some of the, I would say, point the finger to uh, different political and economic forces especially that wanted to create a severe distinction uh, between Judaism and Christianity. And almost, I say severe, what I really mean is to sever that relationship. When interestingly, a lot of evangelical Jews, and this is a point that uh, Bernie does mention in the book, and I have also witnessed because I have met them, are men and women, Christians, who have taken up the study of Torah and of Hebrew in order to become the best Christians they can be. And I have also often quipped with various friends and colleagues that to be a good Christian, you must be a good Jew. So that really, you could say, underscores this whole notion of the true, authentic origin of Christianity, which I really, that's the other funny thing. People don't really dispute that. They really know it. And they know that what we know of Jesus was clearly he was Jewish, and he was a rabbi at that. So, you know, just to add to it, you could say, uh, and further underscore this point, uh, and um, yet go into this peculiar denial of the true Judaic roots of all of Christianity. I oftentimes quip also that the uh, Jews picked Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. The Christians then picked Sunday for the Sabbath. And what was left? So the Muslims picked Friday. And they all center around Saturday, that is the Sabbath of the Jews. Interestingly, you could say both religions, both of which are offspring of Judaism, flank Judaism when it comes to the highest holy day of every single week, known as, in all religions, the Sabbath. So I think that's an interesting symbol with which to leave you all in contemplation of this subject. And it's to just look at, if we were to glean one, you could say, psychological and practical tidbit from this entire uh, review of the relationship between these religions is that a dominant religion will use everything they can to dominate, and they will change and rewrite history as needed for that purpose. And they will encourage and support art 
as Bernie so well pointed out, to serve that purpose, whether it was creating a context and a, a consensus for what the artistic choices should be, or outright explicit instructions, what Jesus should be depicted as, in what color, etc., etc. So it's very interesting, and I think as we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, we should render unto the Jews what uh, belongs to the Jews. And at the same time, respecting, I would say it this way, that Christianity has refined in many ways, it could be said, the message of Jesus, and have taken those messages to another level, which are valuable for us all, whether we were born Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, or, in my case, Buddhist. Anyway, I want to thank you all for uh, joining us tonight. Again, it's a pleasure to serve you. My name is Mitchell J. Rabin. We're on every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. You can always listen to us in archive, either at abetterworld.tv or Blog Talk Radio. And make sure to get our newsletter, because we also list our weekly television show aired uh, in Manhattan and online simultaneously every Tuesday night at 10.30. Again, God bless. Thank you all. And I will be speaking with you very soon. Insurance-minded speeches from GEICO. It's a common expression, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. However, what if the horse's mouth is filled with useful insurance tools? This is the exact case with the GEICO app. Yes, the app is free and therefore a gift horse. However, look inside the app and behold, emergency roadside assistance, digital ID cards, bill pay. Get the GEICO app, look it in the mouth, get amazing services. Thank you.